Hello and welcome. My name is Robert. And I'm Foster. And this is the Also Z Podcast, where we take an actor or a director from an upcoming release and we talk about one of their older movies that may not be as well known. Uh, this week, we're basing our topic on Society of the Snow, directed by J.A. Bayona. You've seen Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, and if you are my esteemed co-host, you absolutely adore that movie. You've also seen The Impossible and maybe even the first couple episodes of Rings of Power. Uh, and I'm sure you've heard lots of people talk about them in real life and on podcasts and in the case of Rings of Power, uh, angry people on YouTube. <laughs> but on, on top of those, Bayona directed a movie called A Monster Calls, and that is what we're here to talk about. Connor, a 12-year-old boy, encounters an ancient tree monster who proceeds to help him cope with his mother's terminal illness and with being bullied in school. Neither of us had ever seen this movie, but you said that you had read the book a few years ago. What did... <laughs> what was that? <laughs> <laughs> Where is that even going? What was that? I was just trying to ask, what did you think of the movie? I'm, I'm leaving this in, so go ahead. Keep laughing. We I liked it a lot. <laughs> it was weird. I, I thought... I thought it was a good movie. <laughs> I Yeah, I read the book and I had always intended to watch the movie and I just never got around to it. It was just, I don't know, I can't can't really explain it. And that's the story of how I read the book and didn't get around to the movie until just now for this podcast. <laughs> um, I could tell it again if you like. <laughs> Honestly, I wouldn't um, mind. I'm supposed to be doing my NPR voice. Ooh, that's right. Yes. Um uh, I thought the movie was really good. I think it is a pretty simple story. And so it's not like a 10 out of 10 for me because there's, um, I can't really explain it. It was just like, I watched the movie and felt like there's maybe a little something missing for me to like full on love it. But, um, the movie made me cry. And like, at that point it's all over if a movie makes me cry. So, so like every week we are going to be spoiling this movie. So with that in mind, I'd like to ask, which part in particular made you cry? Well, it's gonna, I'm going to harsh the vibes real quick. <laughs> but um, it's when the mother is on her deathbed, Robert. Um, and I mean, she, that's what, it's what the movie's about. So I know harsh it is the vibes the as much as you want. Yeah, it is. Okay, I, mean, I will. Um, she says something to... to her she says something to her son you're gonna feel bad about all the jokes you're making when i tell you <laughs> yeah yeah okay I, i'm I'm stopped now <laughs> okay okay serious voices mm-hmm. okay she says something to her son uh that's like um i want you to remember if you think back on this conversation like 10 20 years from now and you feel bad for not saying anything to me right now don't she's like i want you to know that whatever feelings you have inside of you right now I understand and I get it or something like that. And I was like, Oh Mm -hmm. my gosh. I was like, that's like it. Yeah. It's like a movie type of thing to say, but it felt like she said like the right thing to like prevent so much turmoil for him by saying that, like, like what a gift to have her say that to him. Guardians of the galaxy, basically. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And that moved me so deeply. And then also towards the end too, when, when the kid admits that, you know, 
some part of him like hoped she would die just to sort of end the pain of prolonging mm-hmm. it. That's a that's a very deep and mature theme, I think, for for what's effectively kind of a kid's movie, sort of, you know, I, um, go ahead. No, I was just going to say about that point, I realized, hey, this isn't a kid's movie in the sense that, you know, a movie about a kid you might expect, you know, with a big CGI tree as his best friend, as much as you expect that movie, that kind of movie to be a kid's movie. Um, I realized I didn't say what I thought of it, and I'm basically in the same place as you where I also really liked it. I was going to say I really enjoyed it, but that's not, <laughs> that's not true because uh, my, my moment, it takes a whole lot for me to cry at movies. So I didn't like actually cry, but I came close. Uh, I came close to, you know, feeling dusty in the air. And the moment for me was the one after the two that you just mentioned, which is when, after he tells the tree that he wishes that it would just be over when he's back at his mom's bedside and he tells her, I don't want you to go, you know, bringing it back around. Um, And this is what I love the most about the movie, because at a certain point I kind of was feeling a little bit restless, but the, the end uh, when the kid starts telling his own story or his own tale, as Liam Neeson tree puts it, uh, that really grabbed me for the last, like half an hour or so because that that's what um gets at the heart of a lot of the themes which is the fact that there can be multiple truths being held at the same time um and i don't know that that hit for me for a lot of reasons that maybe i won't go into on a public podcast but i think just on the level of the movie seeing him say i want her to die effectively and then being at her bedside and saying, I don't want you to go. You mentioned to me before we, before I watched the movie, because you had already seen it like a day or two ahead of time, that, that I might feel overly manipulated. Um, and I kind of had that in mind going in and I didn't feel like that at all. Like it, uh, for whatever reason, my relationship with my parents is fine, but, but deep parental moments like that really always hit me and i've mentioned this on other podcasts but like even the moment in the flash the, the latest the flash movie when he goes and re-encounters his mom for the last time and time travel it's like it, it got me so if if a movie like the flash can get me in a moment like that a movie that actually puts in the work and has genuine actual things to say like a monster calls is going to hit me that much more yeah Second week in a row that you've brought up the flash. I know. I was thinking about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, the movie is very. I feel like it is very deep, um, and I think it's it is very close to the book too. It's pretty. I think the Patrick Ness even wrote the screenplay. I think. Yeah, yeah. Who wrote the book? Yeah. Um, it's. Uh, I, I'd be curious what you thought of the the stories, uh, like in particular the first two stories, the ones that they go into in more detail. What did you, what did you think of those? Oh, I like them, even though it kind of felt a little bit silly at times. It kind of felt Princess Bridey when the kid is commenting on the stories as uh, the tree is telling them. But uh, yeah, great animation reminded me. I don't. What year did this come out? 2016. Okay, so yeah, it kind of reminded me of the Deathly Hallows Part 1 
uh, with that totally. sort of yeah. flashback and impressionistic uh, animation painting type of animation is really cool. Um, and yeah, the way that it all comes back together at the end, like I said, the ability to hold multiple truths as equally as true as each other. Um, it's an important, sophisticated, mature lesson. And it's basically why I think that this isn't inherently a kid's movie, even though, again, it's about a kid who's friends with a talking tree. What did you make of them? I just think they're thought provoking because there aren't like specific takeaways that you're supposed to have from each story. You're like, you get like little threads and you can make connections from the stories to Connor's life. And like the, the general theme is like that conflicting emotions and and stuff can coexist and also like like one one of the themes that stood out to me was also the there doesn't have to be a hero or a villain some things just kind of are what they are you know um and the most of us get messily ever after is is the line that i really liked mm, yeah there's also in the first movie or the sorry the first story um Mm -hmm. this is a connection i just made like after the fact re reading through the stories one more time was the the witch is kind of meant to be like his grandmother i suppose the sigourney weaver character in the sense that the town was looking for a villain and found one in the witch even though their their like blame was misplaced in the same way it's like he's kind of angry at his grandmother throughout the story um throughout the movie um but it's he's not really angry at his grandmother she's not really to blame in any way it's just like she's an easy target sort of for his anger um and it i don't know it is it is like uh you're just angry at the situation and you're just looking for an outlet for it and i don't know i i I just think a lot of the sort of truths that come out from the story are pretty deep and profound and i have enjoyed thinking about them and i also have thought this is a very morbid morbid thought but like (sighs) i gotta watch this movie whenever i experience like a close death in my family because i feel like it's gonna help me i feel like it's gonna help me kind of process this very well actually just because a lot of it rings true to me but i have been lucky enough to not have to experience anything so horrible uh at, at, in my life yet i suppose but um i don't know i, I just like watched this movie and it was like this movie is going to absolutely wreck me you know whenever mm-hmm. i experienced that hopefully not for a long time but sure yeah yeah um a couple things in response to all that one I'm very glad that it pivoted. Like I thought it was going to be a custody battle movie for a minute. I thought that the mom was, you know, being honest about her uh, improving health. And then the grandmother comes out and she's like, you're going to come live with me. And I was like, "Uh, these movies just kind of get grating to me. So I'm glad that it pivoted away from that and goes into everything that you're just saying that you just put really well, that I'm not going to try to reword in my own way because I like the way that you said it. (laughs) and for the morbid way or for the morbid point of view for me i've been i don't know what adjective unlucky enough to have experienced things throughout my life um deaths in the family you know close friends that sort of thing um and yeah it, it hits home because it's confusing it's not fair it's uh you want to feel one way or another about things and especially, how old is he supposed to be? Like 10? Not not very old at all. Um, I actually did go through something, you know, not a parent, but someone else around that age, around the age of 10. So it's just like, 
there's a lot of confusing thoughts to try to work through. Um, and especially someone so close, thankfully I haven't lost someone nearly as close as a parent, uh, obviously yet anyway, but more for me, I, I, I can always feel myself imagining, um, what it'll be like when I lose someone that close. And that's really what gets me, what, what really moves me. For whatever reason, it's not necessarily me looking back on the people that I have lost. It's me looking forward to the people that I will lose. Uh, and I go into that sort of spiral. Like, I don't know. Have you seen either the either movies, um, Our Friend or Supernova? No, I haven't. Both of them came out in the last couple of years. I actually did them on a double feature and didn't realize that they were both about uh, death and loss to people with <laughs> oh <gosh>. debilitating <laughs> illnesses. Um, but I came home that night and from the movies and gave my wife a little bit of an extra tight hug just because I was, uh, they were both about losing a partner. And like, like I said, I, I just spiral and think about that. So that's kind of what the Monster Calls did to me on that deeper, more emotional level. Yeah, I think we're similar. I do a similar thing when I'm watching movies like this, where I will very, very vividly, you know, picture very tragic things. Right. I don't know why I do this to myself, but I can't really help it. Um, it just, it just, just happens. Find, yeah, I, I find um, For me it I is. find it very cathartic, actually. To I, I love crying, and <laughs> at movies especially. Um, and I, I, I really enjoy getting emotionally invested in things like that because, um, I don't know, sometimes you just go about your day and you have a lot of feelings and you just kind of bottle them up because no one else needs to needs to hear that while you're at like work or whatever. And then you can watch a movie and you can sort of release all right. those pent up feelings that you have. Um, and I do think like there's something to be said about watching a movie like this does make you appreciate your mom a little bit more, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe pivoting a little bit away from just the... Oh, I was- can but, I just say real quick on that topic? No, you, you can't can... actually. Right, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, can, the floor is yours. No, continue. I just could just gonna make a little quick joke and say that you could come home and destroy your living room if you wanted because of the pent up emotions. Uh, oh, way ahead of you. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, that's uh, all that stuff behind you. Exact. Yes, I know. Um, uh, go ahead, pivot. Yes. Ross. Yeah, I, I will pivot. Yeah. Um, uh, I think uh, J.A. Bayona is a really, really good director, and he is kind of like a must-see director for me. I have now seen everything he's made except Society of the Snow, which comes out, which is why we're talking about this movie now. Uh-huh. Um, he is like a super stylish director who has like a pretty clear voice. I feel like he's very good at like the melding of the spiritual and the f- fantasy type of worlds like between this and the orphanage um the spirit like the spiritual and the fantasy and then the real world like is what i meant to say um sure. there's not as much of that in <laughs> jurassic world falling, but... <laughs> speak <laughs> but, your uh, truth why do you love that movie i like that movie you just like cloning kids i do like cloning kids it's a hobby of mine it's just a pastime please don't ask me any further <laughs> questions at this time but uh i what, think what, that... what last kid you cloned oh sorry no further questions okay <laughs> Yes. Um, I I think uh, to me, 
Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom and all the talk about that movie, um, people blame J.A. Bayona a little bit for the movie being as bad as it is. And I would like to say he is the only reason that anything in that movie works <laughs> at all because the script is absolute garbage and his direction is genuinely super cool. He has like great shots in there. And I mean, like the the shot of the Velociraptor in front of the moon or like the claw draping over the kid's bed or even like yeah. the opening underwater. It's like everything that's good about that movie is J.A. Bayona. So it's like kind of a shame that they gave him such a lame movie to direct. And like Rings of Power, too, you feel like the shift after the first couple episodes takes a little bit to kind of regain its yeah. footing after losing him no, as a 100%. director. The, the Impossible. Have you seen that? Yep. Yeah, the only one of his, it turns out I haven't seen, is The Orphanage. So, Which, to be honest, I, I know you're probably maybe subconsciously avoiding it because it's a horror movie I'm putting in quotes. It's it's more along the lines of like a Guillermo del Toro, like Pan's Labyrinth. It's a horror movie by technicality, but it's actually what's like... The, a, uh, what's the GDT movie with Jessica Chastain and Tom Hiddleston? Crimson Peak. Yeah, I like that one. So just looking at the poster of The Orphanage kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, there's a there's a, a Guillermo del Toro movie called The Devil's Backbone, which the title makes it sound really intense, but it's it's just it's like kind of like Pan's Labyrinth. It's not really mm. a horror movie. It's just like horror infused, and it's it's kind of similar to that. Also has okay. Geraldine Chaplin, who's pops up in A Monster Calls as well. Um, which, by the way, that's another scene bringing it back to the actual movie we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, the scene with I guess, is she the principal uh, who is like lightly reprimanding connor for having his outburst and then she sort of politely excuses him and says don't like, they have like kind of head, headmasters and headmistresses across the pond yes of course my people i should have known um <laughs> uh, <laughs> that moved me too you know like as a teacher there's so many times that i am like speaking with a student and i want so badly to you know help them out or be a little more lenient and it's tough because there's times when you have to be firm with your rules but then there's also yeah. times when you have to understand that like this kid is going through a lot and you have to sort of you know be a little a little more gentle um and it is a very very tough line to walk because for many reasons i won't go into it but that scene sure. really spoke to me too yeah i can see how that would uniquely relate to you as a teacher because I just had younger cousins and nieces and nephews and I, I, the responsibility is all out of my hands. So that just kind of went over my head in one ear out the other in, in that sense, at least. Um, the other line that I wanted to bring up, I realized I had written down was many stories that are true feel like a cheat. Um, sometimes good things happen. Sometimes bad things happen. Some things just are the, or sometimes things just are the way that they are. So going back to those themes, I just, yeah, even when the movie does feel a little bit meandery, I come back to just the feeling and the emotions behind it. Um, and we have mentioned him a couple times, but the Liam Neeson vocal performance is incredible. Uh, <laughs> my wife often sits in the room while I'm watching a movie and she'll do something else or she'll have earbuds in watching her own thing. Um, but she she's a Narnia fan, so she heard, she's like, oh, is that is that Aslan? Um, <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And she said she never wants Liam Neeson to voice a character that is human because his voice is just too good for a human. And I said, I, I can get on board with that. Um, so on top of celebrating his performance, I wanted to ask you, did you notice his actual face in the movie a couple times? In the photograph, is that what you're going to mention? Yes. So that had to be intentional, right? Like is the, 
tree supposed to yeah. be like a manifestation of the grandfather or something like that? I guess so. Um, it looks like he I, was Felicity Jones's dad, maybe. Sigourney of course, Weaver's. it's possible they're just trying to be cute with it, you know. Um, but I, it feels like they're making a connection there, like, um, right. or even if it's not like he is the grandfather, it's probably the tree is. Well, there was this one moment um, towards the end when the mother. First of all, I thought it was. I did think it was clever. I had forgotten that twelve oh seven was her time of death. I didn't remember mm-hmm. that, and that kind of hit me too as well. But um, she looks up at the tree, you know, when Connor is hugging her and there's like a moment of recognition. And then you realize, oh, this tree, you know, this figure was probably sort of a a comfort to her as well. And just the fact that there is that recognition there indicates that she probably also has had some sort of trauma in her life when she was younger as well. So that's kind of sad already. But yeah, and then and then. like the the ending of the movie, right? Like with the book suggests because it's the picture of her like sitting on the tree's um, shoulder or something. Did she? That's her sketchbook, right? Yeah. So my reading of it was exactly that. At one point, the Toby Kebble, um, the kid's dad, says something about how she also was an artist when she was younger or wanted to go to art college. Um, so when she was a kid, she was obviously drawing the same way that uh, Connor draws. And that had to be just a little scrapbook or something like that of her, of all her drawings. And they turned out to be the same story. They're same tales that the end told to Connor. Um, the end. The end, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's where, that's where it kind of loses me because you could look at it both literally and figuratively or a mix of both because I see it as just maybe Liam Neeson was her dad and he was telling her all of these stories when she was a kid and she's visualizing them as, as drawings. Um, and then maybe he passed away way too young and that's why Sigourney Weaver is single. Um, and then like, this is where kind of like the metaphysical part of it comes in that maybe the spirit of the grandfather embodies this comforting tree and then comes to visit Connor and gives him all the same stories that he gave to, his own daughter, Connor's mom, when she was going through something tough. Um, because when you stunt cast like that, I don't like, I consider that it might be a cute thing. Like you mentioned just or a little cutesy. Hey, this is the same actor we have as the voice actor, but it's when you, when you stunt cast, it's, it, it's too big of a, of a coincidence or too big of a, of a casting to just kind of throw in there and not have a viewer who may or may not, or who will likely, recognize that actor uh his voice and his appearance try to make that connection so that's kind of how i read it and it's not totally clear and i'm not sure if it's supposed to be but also it does bug me a little bit to be honest yeah i think it um kind of overcomplicates it a little bit and sort of invites a lot more questions than i think the movie really deserves i feel like the was even going for say that again like that it was even going for yeah yeah i think the the movie or the, the the tree works best when it's sort of like a like you put you put whatever you want onto it like it can be many things it can be god it can be your your uh familial history right like the like the sort of wisdom or whatever that's passed down through the it can be anything it can it, mm-hmm. and so i i kind of like that about it because it um uh opens up the movie i think to a lot more people 
um, when you can kind of put your own sort of view of the world onto it, you know, right. like whatever yeah. that thing is that gives you a sense of comfort about the world. Um, and for that reason, the movie is able to feel more personal because it is sort of, you know, kept a little bit mysterious. But then like the moment, yeah, you're like thinking about like, what are the logistics of this tree here? You know, um, <laughs> it kind of takes away the magic a little bit. Just to piggyback off of what you're saying is the way I was looking at it up until I saw Liam Neeson's actual face was just like that Connor kind of implicitly knows all of this stuff and he's his daydreams are so big and so vivid that he's kind of teaching himself these things. Um, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. That's just like you were saying the way that I was to, uh, approaching it up to that point. So, so like that the tree is sort of like a manifestation of himself. You're saying, yeah, yeah. I think there's a strong basis for that based on what kind of tree is he? He's a yew tree. <laughs> I thought of that also. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's a lot here that, which, yeah, I, I which in a sense it's like you not not alone but i mean part of the grieving process i would imagine is like finding a new sort of sense of internal you know like rebuilding your own sort of self-confidence and and uh i don't know i i I, i'm not explaining it properly because i haven't haven't experienced it fully i i guess i'm just sort of gathering from what i know of others and movies and stuff but you have to like rebuild yourself to yeah. grow like a tree. Hey. Hey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just to lend a little bit more credence to that theory um, where like the kid kind of has it all inside of him and he kind of has to teach himself the lessons almost. Um, this is like a mature kid. You, there's There's lots of movies where you can say, oh, this is an adult writing a kid or this kid would never do something like that. But it's kind of in the text of the movie itself that like the grandmother comes over and says uh, a kid shouldn't be washing the dishes without being told to, or something like that. Uh, This is just how he's had to learn to live with his mom being so sick for so long. So like I said, I just kind of almost want to think that it's cutesy work going in by showing Liam Neeson's face in the photograph um, so that I can, read all this stuff that we've been saying the last couple minutes into it and kind of just say that's how I feel what the movie is saying. Um, And maybe I will, because I think the movie is earnest enough that it uh, deserves to be looked at fondly and like looked back on, looked back on fondly instead of, you know, cynically. Yeah. My last thought, uh, I think this is a really good child performance. I don't know if we've, outright said that yet but like i was super duper impressed with this kid and all super i know duper is that he again was, i know i say it a lot uh it's um it's how you know i mean it uh <laughs> it, he is the kid from pan that's all i know <laughs> about oh, him and yeah and i mean he was fantastic i thought especially in the grave the graveyard scene right at the oh at he's the incredible last, in that scene yeah at the last half hour when he's sort of pouring himself open to this tree (laughs) i I mean but this is what also a comparison not to throw another kid under the bus at all i think he's perfectly fine in this movie but (laughs) the image of me just really punching up here (laughs) i'm pushing a kid under a bus (laughs) great work as a teacher i know um (laughs) what kind of organization do i run (laughs) um uh 
<laughs> the Jungle Book is the movie I was trying to think of where he has to act across a lot of things that aren't actually in front of him. And I think he's perfectly good in the movie, but like you can tell that there's nothing in front of them. Like when he's like wading through grass and he's kind of just like haphazardly moving his yeah. hands around. Um, but like this kid, obviously there's no tree in front of him that he's talking to, but like it's so perfectly done that you never question the internal logic of the movie for a second. It's like so good. Um, so I thought like the the, in the 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 visual effects on its own I think are impressive enough, but it's the way it's integrated and combined with the facial acting is like seamless. I think. No, I was actually looking at some behind the scenes, and I think the only visual effects were actually like when the ground was falling in in the cemetery, like the tree was real. <laughs> I felt like I, I, I was like, "Is this where he's going?" <laughs> I tried to keep it together. I couldn't do it. Let's move on to our grid. I I, I say, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> I like the monster calls. Uh, emotionally affecting. Well done. Movie good. Also, um, Felicity Jones good. Yes. Here, let's let's stick on the movie for, for a second. Now that you say that, okay. Where's she been? Like, I haven't seen her in anything since uh, Star Wars. Or maybe I um, am and I'm just forgetting. She was in the um, RBG movie. Oh, yeah. And the Aeronauts. How could you forget the Aeronauts? Easily. I never saw it. The Midnight Sky. Oh, we talked about that I last mean, week with George Clooney. Yeah. Uh, just hit after it. Nothing good, basically, since. I know. She's very good in since Theory of Monster everything. Calls because Star Wars was bad. Oh, do you know, have you seen Light Crazy? Never heard of it. Oh, you'd be so into it. It's like kind of a depressing romantic movie. And it's uh, her and Anton Yelchin. It's so good. And Jennifer Lawrence, like before she was super famous. What is your picture of me? I like depressing romance. Uh, You like romance movies, I think. I know you like more rom-coms, but this has like similar energy. It's just like also depressing because it's like real. What are you trying to get me to watch? I go onto IMDb to like crazy. And the first uh, genre it says here is steamy romance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's steamy. It's like <laughs> kind of grueling, but uh, all right, I'll watch it. I don't know. You should watch it. I actually think you'd like it. I hope you do. <laughs> it's uh, it's eighty eight minutes, so I won't have eighty six minutes, so I won't have wasted that much of my time if I don't like it. Um, so she's really good in that as well. I did not love her in Rogue One. That's my my opinion but i also don't like that movie at all really i like it a bit um but i am not as high on it as everybody else um i shouldn't have said i don't like it at all i I have it like at three stars but um i just have that image of her in the trailer um i'm I'm a a rebel rebel. i rebel (laughs) and that's my that's basically my image of the movie (laughs) is that line (laughs) and that wasn't even in the movie i think no, they changed a lot between the trailer and the, the movie because I was hyped for this movie. I have to tell you, I was like, I, I watched that trailer a billion times and there was so much. Um, uh, I, uh, ben Mendelsohn does like, the power that we are dealing with here is immeasurable or some line like that. And it's like, that wasn't in the in the movie either. Mm-hmm. And I was frustrated. Um, not that anyone keeps track of things like that. Don't be a nerd, Robert. <laughs> Darth Vader scene is bad. Let's do our grid. Whoa! What do we got? What What are our headings here? The column headers are one word title, ignoring the uh, the action Never seen genre. that one before. I know. Huh? <laughs> and released from 2000 to 2023. 
And then the row headers on the side are Charlize Theron or Theron, whatever. Theron. Oh Theron. boy. Oh. Here's someone else who's not coming on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just like fix your last name why don't you <laughs> okay <laughs> idris is that elba or, no i'm just kidding idris elba uh and aaron taylor johnson all right and we're back my score was 2305 because i made the stupidest mistake of my entire life that we'll get to in a moment i was in the top 33.6 percent i got eight out of nine did you beat me after all? I beat you by six points. I oh got my gosh. I got 23.11. I'm in the top 33.3% of players. Unbelievable. All right. Charlize Theron, one word title. Bombshell. I put Tully. Tully. 11.2. What was Bombshell's percentage? 17.7. I was thinking about that for 2000 to 2023. I went with a different one. For Charlie's there in action, I put F9 for 1%. 1%? Why is it so low? I don't know, because I couldn't I honestly personally couldn't remember how many <laughs> Fast and Furious movies she's been in. So uh people are probably picking a more obvious one. I don't know. Alright, I mean I put Atomic Blonde, which had twenty four point three percent. It's no F9. For 2020-23, I put the fate of the Furious for two point six. Oh my gosh, I'm so angry at you because I have these like really good obscure picks and you're like getting the same score as me. I put North Country for 1.9%. Never heard of North Country, but I know that I know and the, the, the Fast and Furious movies are like the last movies that are going to come to mind for Charlize Theron. <laughs> gosh. Let me go on you're, the record real quick in- again and say Fast and Furious 4 through 7. No. Five through seven. Excellent. I'm what? You're just infuriating right now. This I hate that you have such good percentages. And I feel like I'm putting in so much work to get these really obscure ones. And I, it's for nothing. <laughs> hey, I had to think about what her hairstyle was in each one and figure out which one that was going to be and what it would work for. So I put in a lot of work. I'm don't, sorry. Don't I've, not been giving you, I've not been giving you enough credit. Thank you. <laughs> Idris Elba, one word title. Prometheus. Uh-huh. What was that percentage? Seven. Seven? Oh my gosh. What else would he have done? I put cats for eight point nine. <laughs> I don't I didn't even think I remembered he was in that. I've never seen that movie, but I remember you watched it instead of Barry Lyndon. <laughs> I watched it for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Uh because it was leaving HBO. <laughs> not to keep oh, like That's her, not a good bring, reason. <laughs> no, because not to keep bringing up my wife, but she wanted to watch it too and i was just like morbidly curious because i'd seen every other tom hooper movie and i just wanted to finish it off and she didn't realize that it was going to be like anthropomorphic computer animated <laughs> cat people <laughs> and it was the biggest shock uh the emotional crescendo is that a cat is not a dog and i could not agree more <laughs> can you th- what are the other it just album movies that are one word titles though um uh, I feel like I had another one that I was debating between, and now that you asked the me, losers, course, I can't remember. Beast, Thor, Thor, just the first Thor was probably the highest one. Zootopia, um, Rock and Roller. I don't even remember him in Rock and Roller. He's got quite a few thuds. 
So I guess there are some. I was just expecting at least Prometheus to be higher up. Anyway. Um, I'm going to go out of order here, Foster, because my answer for the 2020-23 Idris Elba informs why I missed the Idris Elba action. So I put American Gangster for 3.9%, which I was happy with for 2020-23. And then I was just like, oh, I'm doing Denzel. So I said, let me put Equalizer 3. <laughs> and Equalizer Robert. 3 does not star Idris Elba. Robert, they are not the same. <laughs> I know they are not the same, but I looked at you the poster. You are a bad man. I looked at the poster when American Gangster came up as correct because I, I guessed that one first. I saw Denzel's face and I thought of him and that's why I missed it. Uh, well, we did miss the same category, actually. Uh, I had Mandela Long Walk to Freedom for Idris for 2000 to 2023, which had 1%. Another one I haven't heard of. He played Nelson Mandela. I figured. Um, yeah, there's interviews where he talks about working on Thor The Dark World and having to do reshoots just after having had to play Mandela. And he's like, in his Idris Elba voice, talking about how he's like, he's like, two days ago I was Mandela. And <laughs> now he's in Thor The Dark World. <laughs> reshoots, no less. Okay, Did I you missed see action. the Hugh Grant quote <laughs> about playing <laughs> They're so good. He's like in his... Before like, the movie even care. came out... <laughs> He's in his like his like I don't care era right now. I'm trying to think that like his Ridley Scott era. Basically, he's he's yes. venturing towards. Um, before wait, before you move on, I want to read that exact quote because it's incredible. He says, "It was like a crown of thorns, very uncomfortable. I made a big fuss. I couldn't have hated the whole thing more." Uh, <laughs> he said, I forgot how brutal it was. He said. He was confused throughout filming, this is from a BuzzFeed article, as to whether he should act with my body or not, and I never received a satisfactory answer. <laughs> Even and frankly, this out. And frankly, what I did with my body was terrible, and it's all been replaced with an animator. Um, lastly, I slightly hate making films, but I have lots of children and need money. <laughs> like... <laughs> He's an icon and a treasure for as much as he doesn't want to be. <laughs> That's amazing. I don't. I think I had only seen little little snippets of the quotes. I don't think I'd heard the full it in its full glory. Yeah, just oh. incredible stuff. So, what did you choose I, wrong for action? I put twenty eight weeks later, which he is in. I guess they just didn't consider it actiony enough, which I guess is fair. But um, it's kind of thriller, yeah. drama, horror. Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, but there's like a scene where but there is like, action. Ha- like, there's a building falling, right? <laughs> well, there's a scene where they like take a helicopter and like tilt it on its side so that the that the the wings, the propeller, or whatever, chops a bunch of zombies up. It's like it's like an action movie, way more so than the first one. Whatever. Oh, twenty eight. You said weeks. Oh, I was talking about twenty eight days. I haven't seen twenty eight yeah, weeks. But I've seen twenty eight days, so I'm, I apologize. The building was twenty eight uh, days. Apology not accepted. I mean, weeks is <laughs> no. Uh, I wonder weeks is if way they more of an count... action movie than. Okay, so what everything I said applies to Twenty Eight Days. I wonder if they would count the first Mission Impossible as an action movie on here. I want to try it one time, but that is definitely more thriller than action. Um, let's gonna move on. Aaron Taylor Johnson, one word title. I could only think of. Actually, I could think of two, but I didn't want to go hyphenated, so I went Tenet for 20.9. Oh, I went Godzilla for 25.4. 
I would not have remembered that he's in that. Is he Brian Cranston's he is, son? He is the lead of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I've seen four Godzilla movies. The three in this current running franchise, American Hollywood franchise, and then the recent Godzilla Minus One, which I thought was great. Uh, what was You said 25% for that? 25.4, actually. 25, okay. My guess is that uh, Kick-Ass would probably be the highest percentage. Um, uh, yes, for 42%. Oh, is that the, the most popular? Which I actually kind of like both of those movies a lot. <laughs> I've only seen the first one, but I really enjoy that. So. Oh, the second one is not good. Oh. <laughs> the second one is not good. I own it, but it's not good. Also, Daniel Kaluuya is in it randomly. All right, then I'm watching um, it. He's not not in it very much, so you're in for a disappointment. Uh, you could say the same thing about Across the Spider-Verse. Aaron Turtle Johnson, action. Whoa, shots fired. I did, and I used this one on a previous episode, but Captain America, the Winter Soldier, it's just so perfect because it's just a cameo at the end, 1.5%. Oh, because he's Quicksilver. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I didn't see that coming. Uh, I did 389 Bullet Train. <laughs> I should have said the title <laughs> first. Uh, yeah, Bullet Train, 38.9. Yeah. Did you All get right. my, my Quicksilver reference, by the way? I didn't see that I did coming. Not get... Oh, I did not catch that. I'm so sorry. I'm not up on Just like you can't catch like Quicksilver. You <laughs> uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, 2000 to 2023. Okay. I, so I actually really like Aaron Taylor Johnson. I've never seen this movie, but... Uh, I, I was like, just because I remember seeing it scrolling through his IMDb, so don't judge me too harshly. Angus Thong is in Perfect oh. Snogging. Have what? you heard of this movie? Of course not. I've never, it's like a, it's like a teenage type of movie and I've never watched it, but I remember like being like, what on earth is this? And I think it has like a following from like all the Tumblr, gr- Tumblr girls <laughs> who are obsessed with Aaron Taylor Johnson. Um, and it was 10.2%. So it's like not even that great of a percentage. For Angus what I thought it should thong? be, thongs and perfect snogging. It's like a little girly rom com thing. You'd love it. Oh, Angus, <laughs> comma thongs. I thought his name was Angus Thongs, and I was very no. confused. No, uh, I don't know anything about this movie now. other than the title. Um, it took me a minute to type it correctly, <laughs> but all right. Well, my go. answer was uh, Nowhere Boy, seven point five percent. He plays young John Lennon. Yeah, I thought about that afterwards, too. And I was like, I was thinking I was going niche and like I was going to get some like real good obscure one. But whatever. The world hates me. But hey, I still won. So (laughs) Nowhere Boy is as uh, niche as I could get with Aaron Taylor Johnson. And let's not rub salt in the wound of me mixing up Denzel and Idris Elba. (laughs) That was that was disgusting. Uh, You can do the movie grid for yourself on moviegrid.io. But Thank you for listening. I suppose I had a fun time. I can't say unequivocally that I had a fun time because I lost and I'm too competitive and I let it color my attitude. Uh, you can follow us at, on Letterboxd at Robert Sots and at FOSTH101. And if you're enjoying the show, please let us know. Like, rate, subscribe. Do whatever you do for podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> We will see you next time as we talk about our first double bill for an episode. We're going to be talking about with the film, The Beekeeper from esteemed director, David Ayer, 
an esteemed action star, Jason Statham, coming out. We're going to be talking about Crank and Crank High Voltage with our buddy Luke. I, for one, cannot wait. Until then, keep an eye out for 1207 when a monster calls.